everyone. Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and this is podcast number 200, our 200th episode, big milestone, and I'm super psyched to have Laura Roeder as my 200th guest. She is the founder of Edgar, a new social media automation tool designed to prevent updates from going to waste, and we talk all about it in the interview. And as a side note, I actually signed up for Edgar after this interview, and I have to say, it is the easiest social media automation tool I have used. Super easy, plus you get uh, sign up for their uh, newsletter, and you just get so many great insights on how to leverage social media for you. It's, it's really, really great. Anyway, um, since 2009, she's been teaching entrepreneurs how to harness the power of social media marketing and create their own fame at LKR Social Media. Laura was named one of the top 100 entrepreneurs under 35 in 2011, 2013, and 2014, and spoke at the White House about the value of entrepreneurship. Laura has spoken at numerous influential industry conferences, including Blog World, the South by Southwest Interactive Conference, Real Estate Connect, the Social Communication Summit, and Blog Her, discussing online marketing, social media, and personal branding. Laura has been seen on Fox News, Forbes.com, CNET, the Los Angeles Times, Fast Company, Mashable, Yahoo Finance, and many more influential publications and media channels. Uh, In today's episode, we talk about, of course, we do talk about Edgar, uh, which you can find out more at meetedgar.com. We talk about how software saves you time so you can do what you love to do. So basically, you let the automation do the automation stuff, and then you can actually be social and be personal on social media and go out there and make those connections. How do you socialize? How do you use social media to bring in new prospects? How she builds and manages a successful remote team from all over the country. The do's and don'ts of social media, you don't want to miss that. That's towards the end. She gives some amazing tips. And her advice for a budding entrepreneur. She just, Laura was great. Um, This is a wonderful podcast. I know I learned a lot. I've been listening to it a couple of times and trying to take it all in. She just has so much information to share, and I'm just thrilled that she was on for today's episode. And we'll get right to that episode. But before that, we have a little bit on the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Community Board. The first thing I want to talk about is the Challenged Athletes Foundation. So their mission is to provide opportunities and support to people with physical challenges so they can pursue active lifestyles through physical fitness and competitive athletics. And these are people of all ages, children into adulthood. So be sure to check them out at challengedathletes.org. Great organization. I support them. I absolutely think they do fantastic work for so many people. That's number one. The second thing on the community uh, board this week is, I'm going to kind of plug my own thing if that's okay. So today is uh, February 15th. And February 17th is the start of the combined sections meeting for the American Physical Therapy Association. And at that meeting, I will be doing a live taping of a podcast on Thursday the 18th from 5.30 to 6.30. It's going to take place at the Hilton Mezzanine Room 1. And I'm going to be sitting down with two great people. The first is researcher, teacher, physical therapist, 
Dr. Jill Cook, and we're going to be talking with her about the biggest myths of tendinopathy. She's going to bust some of those myths for us. And the other interview is with Dr. Kareem Khan. He is the editor-in-chief of the British Journal of Sports Medicine. And we're going to be talking about physical therapy advocacy. And from coming from a different place, he's a medical doctor, so how he is a, such an advocate for physical therapy, how to use social media to uh, increase your visibility in the PT world, and so much more. We'll also have a short Q&A at the end. So if you're going to the combined sections meeting and you want to sit and listen to Dr. Jill Cook and Dr. Kareem Khan, head over to the Hilton Mezzanine Room number 1 from 5.30 to 6.30. And I also want to thank the sponsor of today's podcast, which is audible.com. So for healthy, wealthy, and smart listeners, audible.com is giving away one free download and one free month. Just go to the affiliate link, which is audibletrial.com slash healthy, wealthy, smart. They have about 180,000 books to choose from, titles, all different genres. Uh, so go over to audibletrial.com slash healthy, wealthy, smart and get your one free download and one free month on Audible. And without further ado, let's get to today's podcast with the wonderful Laura Roeder. Hey, Laura, welcome, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Karen. I am very happy to be here. Yeah, I was, um, you know, in reading more and more about you, as I am just more and more impressed by everything you're, that you have been able to accomplish at such a young age. So can you give the listeners a little bit more of a background about you so they can be just as impressed? <laughs> I will try to impress everyone. Um, yeah, so I started uh, working for myself very young. I was 22 when I quit my first job to, to work for myself, and I have never worked <laughs> for anyone else since. Um, so yeah, I started out as a freelance um, web designer, and then that turned into social media consulting, social media training business. Um, I started the B-School business with Marie Forleo along the way, if any listeners are familiar with that. I, I am from I, I am a B-School graduate. Oh, cool. Cool, cool. Yeah. So, I mean, that was its own huge project. Uh, and then in 2014, I launched my first software product, which is Edgar. Uh, and we've, we've grown incredibly fast. We're at 2.3 million annual after a year and a half. So it's, it's just been like a, a kind of runaway success, which has been really cool. Yeah. And I mean, that's, if you think about the amount of people who start companies, especially tech companies, mm. it's a lot of people try and, <laughs> you know, you always hear about the, the big successes, but there are a lot of people who don't. What is it like to build an SASS company from the ground up? Yeah, so the story with Edgar is it it the idea came directly from something I was teaching in my training business. I had this process that we were using in our business where you make this gigantic spreadsheet of social media updates and then you have to schedule them all out one by one. If they have an image in them, you're sort of screwed because you can't really do that in a spreadsheet. So we were doing this, we were teaching it, and I was expressing my frustrations to my husband, like, why don't the tools just do what I want to do? Why don't we have to why do we have to do all this grunt work? You know, why don't the tools store a library of all your updates? And my husband is a software developer, so he was just kind of like, well, I could, I could build that. I could build what you want. So I said, 
sounds good. <laughs> Build it. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, and that's really how the company started or how the, the product started because it really evolved from the training company. I didn't like shut that down and start Edgar. I really viewed it as an experiment. You know, I thought, well, the worst case scenario is that we'll have this awesome tool to use at our company, even <laughs> if nobody else wants it. You know, we didn't do market testing in the t traditional way. We didn't really like ask people if they would use this, ask people if they wanted it because we figured, okay, well, if people will pay to learn the process and if people are actually doing the process, even though it's very time consuming, it seems like they'll pay to have software just do it for them automatically. That, that was kind of my, my big bet in launching Edgar. Yeah. And I mean, that seems like a bet anyone would take. Because who wouldn't want the software to do that for you? Because it just saves time. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. if, if social media is not your main job, like a lot of people on this podcast who listen, they're physical therapists or healthcare, mm -hmm. they're yoga, they're, and when you're out and you're working with patients 40 hours a week, right. it's hard to say when you're done, well, now I'm going to spend two more hours scheduling out all my social media posts for the day. At least that's how I feel. And I'm sure right. a lot of other people must feel the same way. Or like pause in the middle of physical therapy session and be like, hold on, I have to update my Twitter. Like, yeah, I mean, that. if somebody did that, you should fire that physical therapist because <laughs> that is highly inappropriate. But yeah, these are things that you just, you can't do. So to have right. this tool to automate, but how is it different than from Hootsuite? Because that's so, an automation tool. Right. So with other tools, the cycle never ends. <laughs> that's the big difference. So with Hootsuite or with Buffer, you have to manually schedule everything or you have to fill up your queue, but then your queue goes empty again or, or your schedule runs out. So the difference with Edgar is that we like to call Edgar he. Uh, he fills up the schedule for you. So you tell Edgar, here's all my content. Here's my old blog posts. Here's you know inspirational quotes or whatever you want on social media. And then Edgar pulls from your library and schedules them and recycles things so that that's schedule keeps going in perpetuity so you don't have to be like oh crap I spent all that time scheduling the next two weeks and now I have to do it all over again yes I feel that way every Sunday that's <laughs> it what you said is exactly what I feel like every Sunday oh crap now I have to go and schedule out for the next couple of days Right. And it really doesn't. And my kind of aha moment that I had, you know, just in creating the process is why would you not use a lot of the same content? Because sure. people don't see, you know, the stats show us people see five to 10 percent of the content the, of the content you post five to 10% of the people who follow you actually see it. So we know that people aren't seeing everything you post, yet most people have this idea like they need to create new content from scratch every day for the rest of time. Uh, and it just doesn't make any sense. And it leads to the huge mistake of people spending all this time writing blog posts, creating podcasts, recording videos. They send it out when it's new and then no one ever sees it again. That's so true. So let's talk for just a quick second. So if you're on Twitter, what's the average time a tweet, what's a shelf life of a tweet? I've read about like half an hour. Mm -hmm. um, but even that is actually a little misleading because really the shelf life is whenever people are online. Are online. The shelf life can be longer if people, you know, are following fewer people on Twitter, they'll see more updates. But anyone who's used Twitter, you know the nature of it. You go there, you're there for maybe five minutes. Um, you see what's been posted in those past five minutes. So if your posting time isn't in the same five-minute window of your sure. followers' reading time, then then they miss it. Sure, sure. So it makes sense that it's okay to take a blog post you wrote two months ago and put it right. back up again. 
Right, right. I mean, you really should because yeah. <laughs> you worked really hard on that blog post. I mean, people who already follow you likely didn't see it two months ago. And the whole idea of why you're doing social media, why you're doing online marketing is to bring in new prospects. So if you know that that's why you're there, why would you not be showing people that obviously haven't seen your back catalog all the great stuff you've created? No, that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Well, I we were just saying before we got on the call here that I have signed up for Edgar. So I'm really excited to, to get into it and to use mm -hmm. it. And, and, uh, by the time sort of this goes, this goes up, hopefully I will have like a good use of a good understanding of Edgar and we'll be able mm -hmm. to speak more about it, but I'm really excited because it, to me, it just seems like such a time saver. Right. And isn't that when you own your own, let's say I'm, I own my own business. I'm a solopreneur. Mm -hmm. Time is money. Yes. Time yes. is probably your most important commodity, I would say. Yeah. And actually a huge amount of our customers are uh, solopreneurs that, and you know, what's interesting about solopreneurs is they're both very time strapped and they generally rely very heavily on free channels like social media because, you know, you don't have funding for your business. You're not like, oh, here's my $50,000 advertising right. budget this month, right. you know? you need to leverage these free channels. So it, it can really be a conflict of like, okay, the, the free channels are also more time consuming. How do I work that into my schedule? Yeah, absolutely. And so you have, so you created Edgar, you put it out there. And like you said in the beginning, you're getting over $2 million, is that right? Of revenue. So how did it grow so quickly? What steps did you take Let's talk about what positive steps you took and then mm -hmm. did you have any missteps? Maybe you didn't. I don't know. So, I mean, as far as positive steps, I mean, the, the biggest two things were one that I, at this point, learned a lot more about business and a lot more about marketing. Um, and I was very deliberate in applying that to this business. And I had already built up an audience, you know, and specifically an audience of people interested in social media marketing. It's like, it's a pretty specific match. So when I launched Edgar, you know, I had this huge advantage of not building from scratch, but okay, I already have the email list. I already have the Twitter following. So obviously that was a huge help in getting things going. Uh, and then word of mouth has been massive for us because we really do something different than than the other tools. Um, and I think we're not always so good at explaining that, but once you use it, you're like, oh, I don't have to refill my queue every Sunday anymore. Like, this is huge, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? No, it is. And, and entrepreneurs love talking about uh, the tools that they use. So we were very deliberate in things like um, creating a strong brand that would be really fun to engage with and, you know, that people could identify with. We were very deliberate in things like our price point our price point starts at 49 a month and we get all kinds of people being like other tools have a free plan other tools have a cheaper plan we wanted to be very clear that we're a marketing tool for business you know you can also use social media for fun um, we're a bootstrap company we can't afford to support a million free users you know and and I think especially in software you read all the stuff about all these startups and what they're doing, you know, but a lot of them aren't trying to make money. A lot of them are trying to acquire as many free users as possible. And it can be very dangerous because you're kind of looking at what they're doing, looking at their strategies. And it's also like, oh, they're the coolest companies. But if you try to apply that to a business that needs to make money, uh, it, it cannot work out so well. <laughs> right, right. So it's, it's sort of knowing initially, it sounds to me like what you're saying is you sort of, you knew your audience, you mm -hmm. had that audience, mm -hmm. and you knew very specifically the direction in which you wanted this company to go. Right. 
And, and that goes a long way. Yeah. And, and we've also been very deliberate with the product. I mean, that's a place where my husband has really come in with his software experience and taught me how important it is to stay focused with the product. Uh, because something else that you see in all sorts of businesses is people, you know, if something's not doing well, it's like, okay, let me try a different direction. Let me add on a new service. And you end up with, I mean, I discovered this in my info product business. I built all these different training programs. And then it's like, okay, well now I have 10 of them and they're all supposed to have their own email sequence and they're all supposed to have their own landing page. And my business got so complicated, (laughs) you know, and it becomes this huge mess. So with Edgar, it's like, okay, we have the one product and we're very clear in the problem that we solve. So there's a lot of things we don't do. You know, we don't, you can't find influencers on Twitter. You can't provide customer service via social media where you can't listen for your brand name. Like there's a lot of stuff people do on social media and we're very clear we don't do all that stuff we do what we do really well yeah and there's something to be said about simplicity in business Mm -hmm. and if you I mean you know take Apple for example right there's a lot of things that Apple does and there's a lot of things Apple doesn't do Mm -hmm. but they keep it simple they don't have a lot of products right you go into the Apple store it's there's so many products they're not Apple products Right. They have phones, they have iPads, they have computers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they've learned how to keep it simple, and people really respond to that simplicity. Absolutely. And, you know, they're a great example, obviously, of, of premium pricing as well. Sure. Um, because I knew that we would get some some pushback on on not having a lower tier, which which we still do all the time. But it's like... You just have to remember as a business owner, everyone wants it to be cheaper. Like if I could buy a Mac laptop for $500, that would thrill me. I would love to. I would love to not spend $2,000, you know? Everyone wants it to be cheaper. And But people take that feedback to, especially I think, you know, in, in your industry, people providing, um, you know, massage and physical therapy and things like that. I think that can be some of the worst culprits of seeing, oh, there's this cheap massage place down the street that charges 30 bucks, so I have to do that too. Well, you can't make a living doing that. And yes, everyone would rather it be cheaper, but there's always people that are willing to pay more for the superior product. Absolutely. Very well said. And and a lot of those conversations, it's funny you should say, do happen in the physical therapy world mm-hmm. because there are people who don't take insurance and people who take insurance right. and and it's always like, well, people aren't going to pay for it. How, how are people going to pay for it? Well, the people audience do. is there. People do it. You know? People do, you just, yeah. You, it, it comes down to sort of targeting your customer, you know, your ideal customer avatar, not to mm-hmm. a throwback from my B-school days. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's true. And I think you do have to put up that, have that mental fortitude to be okay with people asking, you mm-hmm. know, something that I always, and I still have to remind my customer service team and our team, like it's people's prerogative to ask. They're going to ask if you'll do it for free. This is something I see a lot too. People get so upset. They're like, people expect me to work for free. I'm like, they can expect it. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're going to do it. Don't, don't be mad at them. Like people can ask for whatever they want for it to be free or cheap. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, we talked about Apple. I'm sure that Tesla gets a lot of letters. Like, you guys should make a cheap car. They make an expensive car. They do. <laughs> you know? that, that they do. And it seems to be doing quite well. <laughs> right, right, right. So you, but it does take 
that fortitude in yourself because it, it is easy to start second guessing yourself saying, oh, people want a free session to start with. People want me to take insurance. People want it to be cheaper. Uh, it, it's just a question of math, right? Like we've all heard, you know, wouldn't you rather have one client for a hundred than two for 50? We all know it's easier to manage and makes a simpler, lower overhead business with that one for a hundred, but it's hard for people to actually put that into practice in their business. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a big mindset shift, mm -hmm. you know, that, that is very difficult for a lot of people to do very difficult. It's difficult for me, mm -hmm. you know, but, but I do it because <laughs> I have to pay the rent and right. you know, eat and, and all that other stuff. So you got to live. So now why you mentioned earlier that you guys are sort of bootstrapping Edgar. So mm -hmm. why decide to bootstrap versus letting someone come in and, yeah, and I mean, it's something that I thought, <laughs> uh, right, and give you money. Why yeah. do you want that? <laughs> um, I thought a lot about it because we could have raised money. Um, you know, it's the type of business you can raise money for. I have a lot of those connections already. So it's something that I really considered. Um, but there are a few reasons I decided not to. A big one for me is is the freedom. Um, you know, I was actually pregnant when I launched the company. I took three months maternity leave. Well, the company's only a year and a half old. You know, my son is one. So I've, I've been gone a lot during this very high growth period. And my husband, who is, you know, the CTO and the father of my child, <laughs> has been gone a lot too. We're actually both working part-time currently. Um, a lot of investors aren't so keen on the two people, you know, heading up the company being like, we're just going to take a few months off and then I think we're going to work part-time after that. Um, and I really wanted to build a company based around earning our value from customers. Um, my friends who have raised money it's very easy to fall in the trap of your revenue comes from the money that you raise. And so that's your focus as a business. It becomes raising more money instead of having a, a business that really has to prove itself to the customer. Like, I want us to earn our keep. We have to be worth that $49. Otherwise, no one will buy us and we won't be in business anymore. Yeah, no, that's, I never actually thought about it that way. So it's really that focus on having a good customer experience. Like you mm -hmm. said earlier, word of mouth has been great mm -hmm. for you guys, which, which proves that what you're doing is working. Focus on the customer, focus on the experience is working. Um, right, that's, right. That's yeah. great. If I could raise money with no strings attached, uh, you know, <laughs> awesome. I, I, I don't know. Does that exist? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. But if anyone would like to, like, call me, I'll, I'll take your You'll call. You'll take it. Um, so now, you know, as you mentioned, you had you have a one-year-old, and you and your husband have taken some time off. So, obviously, you had to build a team, right? Right, and they're not all living in your house. <laughs> I'm assuming. So, how do you build and manage a remote team? Mm -hmm. Especially, let's say, sounds like you have a lot of experience, but what if you never managed anyone mm -hmm. before? How do you do that? Yeah, effectively? I mean, so at this point, I have experience. You know, when I started working for myself, I had never interviewed anyone. I, I was a junior graphic designer, right? I had never, I had literally never been in charge of anyone else in any capacity, you know? Um, so it's definitely something that I've, I've learned trial by fire, which I also feel like it's one of those things where I've, I've been blessed by a lot of ignorance because I never had to unlearn bad corporate habits. Um, a, a lot of what I've done in my business has just been kind of my own common sense, especially around hiring and around um, managing and building a team. It's like, okay, well, what kind of place would I want to work in? And, you know, now we're, now we're like 
16, well, we just added on someone new who starts tomorrow, so I think 17 employees. So now it is a business that I work in. I mean, there's like these weird things, like I receive health insurance as part of the plan on my company. It's just like, it's much more structured now. So I do feel like I, I, you know, work a job. I just also own the company. So it's like, what sort of place would I want to work? How would I want to be treated? How do I want everyone to treat each other? What kind of people do we want here? I mean, uh, it's just it's much less about like what the rules are or, or what you're supposed to do and more like what do I want to create? I mean that's that's what I've kept focused on. And how do you keep that team focused when they're not all in the same mm-hmm. place? So if it's, if it's a more virtual team and let's mm-hmm. face it, that's what a lot of certainly online companies and uh, tech companies mm-hmm. maybe you're not all in the same room. So right, how right. do you keep that remote team being a team and yeah. being focused? Yeah, so our team is, everyone is called distributed. You know, everyone works from their own home. We are all in the U.S. and Canada. So we work normal hours together. And I think that makes a big difference. I would think it would be, I know some teams do people all over the world. I think that would be very, very challenging. Um, because our team, it's still able to feel very much like a, a real office, you know, we use Slack, like we love Slack, like everyone does. We're all on Slack all day. Um, we video chat a lot. Whenever you want to have a quick conversation with someone, you know, hop on video chat. That face-to-face communication is so important. We meet up all together in person twice a year. So we keep our workflows like we don't try to innovate too much there. You know, it's like here's our tasks. We have a a uh team-wide meeting every Monday where we're all on video together. Different departments have their own daily or weekly check-ins besides that. So we're not getting like too creative <laughs> there. Everyone's everyone's very much checking in with each other. What are you working on today? What are you struggling with? You know, how can we help each other? All that kind of stuff. Right. No, that makes sense. And it sounds like it might even be more meeting times than some companies I've worked at mm. where we're all in the same place. <laughs> you know, we have a meeting like once a month or something. Uh, right. I mean, yeah, I think it's always challenging to find that right rhythm of like, okay, spreading information without having people sitting uh, in meetings all day. So we try to be, we try to be concise. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And how, I guess the, the big question that, that comes to mind for me is how do you, how do you find these people? Mm. How do you find people that want to kind of join a, a virtual team or, or let's say, I don't want to say it's like an alternative mm-hmm. kind of a situation, but it kind of is. It kind it's, of is. It kind yeah. of is. Yeah. I mean, what I've realized, <laughs> so I think I used to have sort of this negative mindset of like, oh, my company is not a real company, you know, because we don't have a real office. And like you said, it is sort of this like new weird setup. People want to work from home so badly that it's a scam. Like if you Google work from home, most of what comes up is a scam because people because people want it so bad it's a scam opportunity. Um, there are lots of people that either just because they're sick of commuting, you know, they want to be able – like one of our employees, like her kids get home. She has to go to the bus stop at 3.30. It takes her five minutes, but she has to pop out, go to the bus stop, bring her kids home, and then, you know, she has childcare for them after that. But like you can't do that no. in a normal job. No, no. Um, just little things like that. People love that flexibility and understanding that I'm offering something that's a huge benefit has just like from a mindset perspective, I'm like, Oh, this isn't like a fake company. This is something people really look for. Um, 
you know, we use a lot of remote specific job boards. So there's one called We Work Remotely where we found a lot of great talent. There's one called Authentic Jobs that has a lot of remote jobs. So we've used resources like that. Great, great. I think I wanted to mention that because if people out there listening are like, oh, I kind of wouldn't mind doing that or mm -hmm. perhaps I want to create that the same kind of setup, I think that's a great way to go about it. And I have to say, I've just been interviewing for intern positions mm. for for the podcast just to kind of help me out a little mm -hmm. bit. And, you know, the people are interviewing from all over the country. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so happy to have this conversation because I was like, how am I going to, how is this going <laughs> to work? But, and again, you're right. It's kind of having the right mindset of that. Yes, you can make it work. You just have to know that it's a real thing. Right. You have to treat it seriously. And yeah. I do think, you know, that that can be a problem. Um, like just simple things like we have very clear work hours. We have, you know, people are different time zones. So we have a document that shows you when everyone's going to be online in the different time zones. It's not like this isn't just like sort of this <laughs> random thing you do from your computer while you watch TV. Like this right. is your job that you show right. up to every day. And yeah, setting those parameters is is important. Yeah, smart, smart. So setting parameters, finding the right people, and having structure within mm -hmm. a company even though it's online. Definitely, definitely. Got it, got it. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about social media, social mm -hmm. media strategy. Um, what? Let's first start out with do's and don'ts. So, you know, you've been in this game for quite mm -hmm. some time. Mm -hmm. So in your in your opinion, what are the a couple of big do's and a couple of big don'ts when it comes to posting things online. Mm. So, I mean, one of the biggest do's is directing to your own content very regularly, which is why, you know, that's one of the biggest things we, we focus on here at Edgar. And I mean, I always tell people, if you just used Edgar, you loaded up your blog posts and you just use Edgar to send out one of your blog posts every day, you would, you would make your 50 bucks back because you're not doing that. <laughs> Most people are not doing that now. They're not sending people back to their website every day, day in and day out, you know? Um, and that's so important for two reasons. One, you know, your website is where the commerce happens. People are not booking you on Twitter. You know, your website is where people are scheduling directly, using your contact form, whatever. So you need to drive people there. And then the content side is so important because that's what people share. Like you're hoping that people are going to click on your scheduling page to book you, but no one's going to share that on social media. But of people course. will share your article about, you know, back pain management or, or whatever it is. So mm -hmm. that's why the content is such an important part of the social media mix. Got it. Got it. Yeah, no. So direct back to your own content or your own web page. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See, now as you're saying this, I'm like, I'm going to be like scouring posts and seeing if people <laughs> are actually doing this. Um, okay, what else is a big do? Another big do is is the engagement part, you know, which you which you hear a lot. Like social media is meant to be social. And I think that's why the, ironically, that's actually why the automation side is so important is so that you do have time for the engagement. 
you know, whether you use Edgar or another tool, if you're trying to post everything live, that's all you're going to have time to do because that's so time consuming. So a lot of people, I think, kind of misunderstand thinking we're an automation tool. Like we're not just trying to turn your social media into some automated robot. We're handling the posting side because it doesn't matter if you were on your phone or if you were on your laptop or using a tool, like whoever hits that send button or whatever tool hits it, that does not matter. No one knows. No one cares. You can't have software be you. You can't have software talk to people. Um, and that relationship building is definitely important in social media. So my philosophy is automate everything else so that you can spend your time on the relationship building. No, that makes perfect sense. I never, I have to say, I've never thought about it that way. But if you can get all your content out there and then free yourself up to respond mm -hmm. to people, mm -hmm. to reach out to other people, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the way to do it. Yeah, that exactly, makes perfect sense. Exactly, exactly. That's what you should be spending your time on. Right, your time. That's that's sort of your your business building side and can also perhaps be your income building, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. is by making those relationships. Right, right. And because that, you know, that's what's so cool about social media, especially tools like Twitter. It's still very easy to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone, to reach out to someone new. Uh, I think it's sort of easy to take for granted, but that's that's very powerful that you can just reach out to someone new cold and start a conversation on to Twitter. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's like, because I always think if I were in a room with a whole bunch of people, mm -hmm. I would be less likely to go up and just strike up a conversation <laughs> with somebody. But on Twitter, it's like, no problem. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and even people like famous authors and things mm -hmm. like that. If I were ever in a room, like I'm a bit of an introvert when it comes to, to that. I would probably never say anything, but on Twitter, I'm like, hey, I loved your book, da, 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 right. da, and, and then they respond, and you're like, wow, that was great. Yeah. That's a, that could be the start of something, and so right. you free, yourself, free yourself up for that versus just saying, check out my blog post, click here. Do you it, see my exactly. blog post? Click here. Check out the new <laughs> podcast. Click here. I mean, wow. Yeah. And, and that's a way, just so that people are aware, that's how you get more followers. You know, everybody always wants to know, how do you get more followers, Right. Right, right. You need to engage. And again, that's why it comes back to posting content that people will share. Because a big way that you get more followers is that other people share your content and then new people see you. So if you're not creating that content, which again is something else that is very time consuming, you know, it takes time to write blog posts. So if there's any parts of those processes that you can automate or that you can, you know, like you mentioned, hiring an intern to help you with, that's why it's very smart to do those things because content marketing, social media marketing, it is time consuming. Yeah. It's another job. And when you have a job, <laughs> why do you want to have to do another job all the time? Because you already have a job, <laughs> right. you know? Okay, any other big do's before we move on to the don'ts? Um, I'm just trying to think like kind of, you know, broad, broad, broad strokes. strokes. Um, maybe we should move on to okay. the don'ts because I'm thinking of those. Let's, yeah, well, and, and actually the don'ts are probably, let's be honest, the don'ts are a little more important than the do's. <laughs> okay, so what are the big don'ts? So the big don'ts, one is like, get real about what your business is and who you need to attract in your business. And, you know, for people listening to this specifically, I'm referring to, do you need local people? Um, if you are providing a 
hands-on, literally, service, <laughs> you need people in your local area that you can put your hands on. Uh, so it's like I was kind of saying about startups, you read all these strategies, you know, for people that have raised all this money. It's the same with online marketing. A I'm going to say most of the strategies that you read are sort of assuming that people have this national or international customer base. Um, and if you don't, you can still read that stuff and you can still learn from it, but you need to adapt it to where you are. And that means spending your time differently. So a lot of people are confused about this because they're like, well, I set up a Twitter account, but people followed me from all over the place. Like you can't control who follows you. That's that's okay. If there's some extra random people, don't worry about it. But as far as how you're engaging, um, you know, if you're serving your local area, you need to be looking at things like engaging with uh, local media outlets or local magazines or local partners who might refer you business. Those are the types of relationships that are good to build or just staying in touch with previous customers, especially, you know, a lot of these industries that we're talking about are very much about repeat clientele. Sure. So using social media just as a way to kind of remind people that you're around have some fun, like casual chat with them, you know, for them to see what's going on in your life and vice versa is really valuable. Yeah. And, and if you're, let's say you're on Facebook, perhaps looking at groups that are in your area, right? you right. know, and, and doing the same thing. So, you know, you can use Edgar, you can use those other automation tools to post to your Facebook business page, to post mm -hmm. to your, uh, Facebook group. If, if I'm in, we'll just go like a New York city B school, just right. To, you know, at least I know those people are actually in my area. Right. So right. if I'm really wanting to get myself out there to get more clients, maybe I'll post more in there than I would in the big gigantic B-School. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I think that leads to like a similar don't that I see a lot is don't, don't just network with a bunch of people that do the same job as you do. Yep which is a huge mistake I see people making online. Yeah, they're in all these like physical therapist groups. It's like, well, they're not going <laughs> to they're not going to hire you. You know, I mean, it might be fun to chat about your business and you can certainly learn some new strategies and some new techniques, but you need to be spending most of your time talking to customers and you know, that's a huge one for your blog content too. A lot of people make the mistake of blogging uh, in a way that is like talking to people that already know all their industry terms. Um, mm -hmm. Like I remember I was advising someone once who had a, a rolfing business. Rolfing? I don't rolfing. know if I'm saying it. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. um, and I told her, I was like, the blog post that I want to read from you is like, I'm just real confused about what's going to happen. Like, I literally don't know if I'm going to have my clothes on or off. Like, you know, is like, is this going to be like a painful thing or a relaxing thing? Like, I don't get it. And a lot of people, it never occurs to them to go down to that level. And they're writing these articles about some like real specific part of your like musculature that people don't even know the terms that you're using, you know, write for your customers, not for your peers. Right. So it's, be able to be able to take it down a notch. And you know, right. I, I have to tell you, that's not easy. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's not easy to take all of this stuff that you know and to be able to bring that down and mm -hmm. simplify it so that it's very user-friendly for the mm -hmm. average Joe, that takes time. It does. It does. I mean, it's a, I think it's a technique, you know, and a skill that you have to learn, but it's, it's very much <laughs> worth well learning. Well worth it. Yeah, yeah. Any other big don'ts? Um, don't think that you can just like do this for a few days and then 
see these huge results right away, which is, you know, one of the most frustrating <laughs> things about all this stuff. Um, something that was fun in starting Edgar is that since we had this whole new brand, we we started over with the social media accounts. You know, we made a new Twitter account, a new Facebook account, starting at zero followers. So I understand. And were you <laughs> like, like Oh my right. God. <laughs> right. It was kind of fun because it's like, okay, I really get to practice what I preach. You know, all these techniques that I've been telling people, do they really work for starting from zero? Um, and yeah, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating spending all this time, you know, creating content and sending out messages and you're like, wow, the 20 people that follow me read it. Great. You know, but everyone has to start from zero. And I can just tell you now that I've been doing this a long time, you know, now that I've been on Twitter since 2008 or whatever, um, it, it pays off. It really does. Like now I've built this great audience and this great platform online. It has not happened overnight. It's been slow and steady work over years, but it's like that saying like the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's the same thing with social media and online marketing. You have to get started. It's painful in the beginning. There's no one there in the beginning, but, but you have to keep chipping away at it. Yeah, absolutely. And how about any, and, and a lot of this stuff, I always feel like it's common sense, but any sort of big etiquette don'ts. Mm. I mean, aside from being like a jerk. Right. I mean, right. I, you, you hope that that's sort of self-evident, you know? But Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's a good opportunity to hone in on the different types of automation because mm -hmm. that can be a big point of confusion. Like um, something that I would not recommend is sending uh, generic automated responses to people. Oh, so sometimes. Yeah. You know, like people don't do this so much anymore, but when you follow someone on Twitter, they automatically reply with like a canned message um, or maybe on LinkedIn or Facebook. So when I'm talking about automating, I'm talking about your real great content, just automating the sending it out, not like having a bot write it, right. you know, and, and totally. that's an important, that's an important point is, and that's actually why it actually works better to curate your content like you do at Edgar, because then you actually have time to make sure that everything does, you know, represent you and you want to send it out instead of this panic, like, oh, I have to get something out today. Um, so you want to automate the actual sending it out, but you, you, you don't want to automate conversation, basically. Like any sort of conversation or relationship building really needs to be real and authentic. Uh, also, when people automate the stuff that's like, um, you know, pay $10 and get a thousand followers and stuff like that, like, we're talking about your business. You're doing this to get leads for your business. Why would a thousand <laughs> fake Twitter accounts right. help your business? It just doesn't it just make doesn't. any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. So don't don't mess with that stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, and I was listening to an interview that you did with Pat Flynn, and there was one thing that you guys sort of touched upon, and it's just like a technical part of Twitter that I don't think a lot of people know about. That if I said, uh, if I put sort of your hash, your um, handle, and then said put my handle in there, or whatever, the only people that would see it would be mm. my followers and your followers. So could you kind of just explain that? Because I think a lot of people do not understand. You're this. right. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that because it is so freaking complicated to explain. So I'm like trying to think of the simplest way to say it. So if you start a tweet with 
an at and then someone's Twitter handle. Mm -hmm. So like mine is LKR. So if you start a tweet with at LKR, which people do a lot because you want to talk to them, Mm -hmm. or maybe you're saying something about them. This is one of the biggest mistakes. People will write like, at LKR was such a great podcast guest, you know, loved Mm -hmm. having her on. And you mean to do it in this way to give them a public accolade. But because you started the tweet with at LKR, only the people that follow you that also follow at LKR see that tweet. And Twitter does that because they think, oh, they're having like a private conversation. So the people who don't follow at LKR are going to be confused because it's going to be out of context because they're not seeing both accounts, Mm -hmm. which is why sometimes on Twitter you'll notice because people are like, why do people do this? People will put like a period Mm -hmm. and then at LKR or like a tilde at LKR, just some other special character. The reason they're doing that is so that that message will show to your whole Twitter following. Right, right. Yeah. And I think that's important because I see that a lot. And you also see people with the periods and people ask, why do people put a period Mm -hmm. before that? What's the point? What's and so thank you, because that is the point. Yeah. Okay. So before we sort of wrap things up here, um, what is, let's say your best piece of advice for a budding entrepreneur, entrepreneur, solopreneur, Mm -hmm. whatever. My best piece of advice is get into action. And it's all about execution. It's so easy to spend time refining your idea, honing in on your idea, discussing your idea, making plans, making strategies. You know, you can spend all day long doing these things. The problem with that is you have no chance of improvement because none of it's real. It's all theoretical. And the fact is none of us know if anything is going to work until we put it out there into the world. So the sooner you make it live, the sooner you can start improving on it and seeing, okay, no one bought this. What do I need to change about it? You know, was it too cheap? Was it too expensive? Did I not explain it right? Did I not name it right? You can't learn any of those things um, when when you're just thinking. So whatever you can do to just put something out there, even if it's ugly, it's not exactly what you wanted, it's not, you know, your big dream vision five five years from now, just get something out there. Right. So it's important for entrepreneurs to know that it doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily, doesn't have to be perfect. No. It really doesn't. And I mean, this is like, I think everyone constantly has to remind themselves of that. So at Edgar, we haven't had a designer for so long. That's the guy that's starting tomorrow. Like we finally got a designer. We had one when we launched and then she left. And then we've just had like, just this like hot mess ever since. So there are so many things. Like when we want to put a new page on our website, it just, it just looks bad. Like that's, that's been our technique for a long time. Um, because that's not the most pressing problem at our company. Like there's a lot of stuff you have to do to run a company and an ugly web page is not the most important. It doesn't really affect our bottom line. It hasn't been the priority, but that is painful. You want to fix that. You see that ugly website and you're like, I can't have this out there. We have to put all our attention on that, but actually like acquiring customers is what we have to put all our attention on or making sure that people set up Edgar, making sure they stick around. Those are the things that are really important. So yeah, this is like a constant battle that I think most entrepreneurs have is reminding yourself it's not perfect, but it's okay. Yeah, but it's okay. And and I love what you just touched upon, which I think is another great piece of advice, is focus on the things that are most meaningful to the company versus mm-hmm. focusing on things that if, it's, if it doesn't get fixed immediately, it's not going to really affect your bottom line. Right, right. Something that I constantly ask myself, I try to like make a note of it every week, is what's, what's the biggest problem 
right now? You know, what's the biggest problem in the company or, you know, if you're a solopreneur, your company is just you this week. And, and often it is the bottom line of your company. Like I had coffee with a friend recently and she said, my sales are really down this month. You know, I'm not sure what's going on. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, I feel sort of frozen, you know, like I don't know what to do. And I was literally like, okay, well tell me any idea you have on how you could get a new customer. And like, just tell me anything you can think of, you know? And so she told me, I'm like, do that. That's what you start with, (laughs) you know, just try that one thing. And it's so easy when you're overwhelmed by a big problem, like we don't have enough business this month. It can actually backfire in this weird way where you start just like busying yourself with all this other weird stuff of like, you know, I really should do a new Twitter background. I haven't, I haven't like changed mine in a while. That's <laughs> really funny. Yeah. Because you're scared of that big problem because it kind of panics you. You have to be like, am I chipping away every day at, at that biggest problem? Yeah. No, I mean, what great advice. And I've, everything you've said today was just really spot on, I think, with what entrepreneurs want to know, solopreneurs, and even just people who are feeling a little overwhelmed Mm -hmm. with their everyday life, business life, and everything else. And, you know, I think also I have to say kudos to you and your husband for taking time for yourself, Mm -hmm. even though you're in the midst. And, And I think that's a great example of how you can still succeed and you can still push forward while giving the time that you need for yourself and for your family. Because mm-hmm. if you didn't have that, would everything else succeed? Would, would right. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So I think that was a great example. And I'm glad. I thank you for sharing that story. Um, so, all right. Before we wrap things up, uh, let's get out some websites. Let's get out some Twitter handles. Where can people get in touch with you? Where can they find out more? Yes, you can find Edgar at meetedgar.com. Meet as in M-E-E-T, not M-E-A-T, Edgar, which we always joke we need to have like weird gory t-shirts. And meet Edgar on Twitter and on Facebook, and you can find me on Twitter at LKR. Well, thank you, Laura, so much for coming on. This was a really great – this was great. And I, I know I personally and taking so much away and going to put it to work this week. So thanks so much. Thank you. And everybody, thanks so much for listening. Again, go to meet Edgar. That's with two E's, not an E-A-T, dot com, and find out more about automating your uh, social media life. Have a great week, and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.